0: Hey, it's Sergeant Stavros here from How Good Is This, the Thug Mills podcast. You know and love Thug Mills from our short film, Thuggies Do China. So why don't you check out the pod? Now, I won't try and convince you by pretending to be the Green Day manager. I've actually done something useful and prepared a compilation of our best skits. But I won't disrespect the 30-second time limit either, so I have to play them all at once. Good job. your son. No time for me. You're an artist. Right now. So here you go. Another. Thug Mills. Hey, welcome to the Andy Social Podcast, and before we kick into this week's episode, you know what I'm going to say. Come and join me on Patreon, patreon.com slash Dowling. Support starts from a buck a month, dirt cheap, set and forget, nice little feel-good payment, and there are additional tiers if you want to support a little bit more and get access to exclusive content, such as a weekly podcast episode, patreon.com slash com slash Social,
1: Andy Social.
0: Hello friends, episode 238 of the Andy Social Podcast is here and this week's guest is Derek Rucker. Now if you're not familiar with Derek, Derek is in my opinion one of the basketball greats who played in the Australian National Basketball League, the NBL, and Derek came out in the late 80s and carved out this 15 seasoned career uh, playing for Teams such as the Brisbane Bullets, the Newcastle Falcons, the Townsville Suns, West Sydney Razorbacks, and just built up a uh, an amazing career of accolades. And for me, growing up in the nineties, I got to see Derek play quite a bit. Really enjoyed uh, watching him and kind of idolized him along with a whole bunch of other amazing players in the NBL uh, during during that time in in the nineties. So for me to chat to Derek on this podcast was was pretty cool. Like it was, it was pretty surreal. So, uh, go and check out, uh, Derek Rucker on the socials, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Derek's got his own podcast called the Derek Rucker podcast. Um, that's on Instagram and YouTube. He's also got his coaching program called Derek Rucker basketball, which is on all the socials as well. I will have everything in the show notes over at andysocial.net and andydaling.net You should also be able to click through on your podcast player, be a bunch of clickable links there as well. But enough Crapping on from me, please enjoy this amazing chat with Derek Rucker.
2: Yeah, I love music. Music's a big hobby of mine.
0: That's cool. That's awesome. Yeah, I. It's um, it's one of those things that I think um, it, it can be an absolute lifesaver for people. I think like you know, sports obviously a big thing for people. It's an outlet and a way to escape. And music does yeah. the same thing. It's just a, it's it's to find some purpose and.
2: and yeah. Well. That's so crazy because I don't know if you follow, I don't know how long you follow my Twitter feed for, but um, I, uh, one of my favorite groups, oddly enough, is uh, Happy Mondays. Yeah, cool, cool. And, uh, (laughs) and, you know, at, uh, at different dark stages in my life, they were my savior. They were like, and as it turns out, um, through Twitter and everything, I've become friends with them. And now, you know, I have a relationship with the drummer and the backup singer. And like when they were out here, we all hung out together like last year or the year before last when they toured. And it's just, you know, it's it's so interesting. And then when they hear, you know, when they hear the stories, and they're like, wow, that's just amazing. And it, and it really, you know, you just never know how you're going to impact on someone else at a, at a critical juncture for that person, no matter what. Type of uh, utility you provide, you know.
0: Oh, for sure. And did you? I know a lot of uh, a lot of people have a have a real reluctance to meet people that have been a big influence or had a big big impact in their life, just because they're worried that maybe whatever has been created in their mind of you know, the mystique around, whether it be you know, music or. In sports or whatever it might be, yep. that when you meet them in reality and you, you get to be in front of them, that maybe the mystique disappears. Were you sort of reluctant when you went to meet them and go, "Oh, are they going to match my expectations of who they are?"
2: So I'm not sure if you are if you're familiar with like the members, but it's like they have a um, a black a, a black um, backup singer, Rowetta. Okay, and Rowetta. I kind of befriended her first I think on Twitter. I just hit her up cuz I think I was in Las Vegas years ago and the Mo- one of the Monday song came on over the, the the PA or the hotel sound system or whatever and I tweeted, you know, blah 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 and then it kind of built from there. And I will say though, out of all the famous people I've met in my life and I don't because my dad was a famous football player mm. like that stuff doesn't really phase me and you know i've met a lot of different people from prince to you know whatever and i've never really been as excited as i was when i got to meet the mondays <laughs> and that cool. was probably that was probably when i was a bit like oh and but they turned out to be far better than i had thought
0: Oh, that's that, that's what you want. I mean, that that's that's so cool because you always worry. Yeah. You go, oh, please don't break my
2: heart. <laughs> yeah, yeah, And now you know, now we're like buddies. I talk so. Gaz Wheelan is Gary Whelan is the drummer, yep. and he and I are probably the closest now. We talk on a regular basis. You know, um, he's based in Toronto, so he's become a big Toronto Raptors fan. Cool. And uh, you know, he's big Manchester United fan, obviously because they're you know they're out of the Manchester mm. scene. Um, and I, I, well, they're all kind of, uh, they're all kind of this week in memoriam over, um, I guess this is the, this week marks the anniversary of Tony Wilson's death. Mm. Um, obviously many years ago. So, um, yeah, it's, it's all cool, man. Yeah. I really, um, I look, you know, I, I, I really like, um, getting to meet like people that you've looked up to, but I will, I'll, I'll expound on that that Prince story. Mm. I was in Miami, uh, man, I can't remember how many years ago. This was a long time ago, man. And it was during the time when Prince was, um, he was entangled in that battle with maybe Sony.
0: Yeah. Okay. This sounds familiar.
2: And remember he was, he, he had written slave on his face. Yes, that's right. (laughs) And Jay, Jay Z even, Jay Z even references (laughs) it in, in, 444 album um he talks about that moment but i was like i love prince and he i just idolized prince and i grew up with prince and michael jackson and all that stuff and these guys are just legends to me and i finally was in a club with prince and he walked right by me and i was just like and i just said hey what's up and then his mind was like oh no you you know you can't (laughs) look at it blah 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 and all this stuff and i was like okay well that's a bit you know whatever but then I saw him like he was sitting in his booth and like when he went to have a when he went to have a drink, one of his minders just would pick up his drink and like put it up to his mouth for him.
0: <laughs> I love that. <laughs> yeah.
2: And I was just kind of like, oh, man, wow, this is this this is heavy. But, you know, like music is just yeah, music is liberating for me.
0: Oh man. I mean, they, I mean, it's all, it's all storytelling, isn't it? Because yeah, it, it you know, in music, I mean, Prince there's so many different storylines through all these albums and, and just everything that we listen to, no matter what the, what the genre of music it, you know, it's either a story being told by the musician themselves, or you've got your own story in your own life where the music becomes a soundtrack. And, yes. and that's where you become so connected with everything. And then, as you said before, it's like happy, happy Mondays. It's like, you know, it, it saves your life, you know. It's it it it, yeah. it gets you through the tough times, and you might find yep. something that's relatable, or you can connect with it in a way, and you know, link it to whatever's going on in your
2: life. And it's, um, you know, I, I always like, you know, it doesn't it doesn't matter the the genre of the of a track or or an album or whatever, but they're I always seem drawn to the music that has. Uh, a hint or a moderate dose of melancholy about it. Mm. That's, you know, I don't know why that is, but I can always pick it in a song, and you know, that song always seems to have, you know, you develop its emotional attachments to mu- to music. You know,
0: yeah, yeah. I think it's, and, it's kind of like the movies, yeah, isn't ahead. it? Like when when a, when something's playing in the background of a of a dramatic movie, it sort of connects you right to the scene really well. And sort of like yeah. this reflective moment in that melancholy sort of feel. It's, yeah, it's cool.
2: And and I guess it's really hard for me to get heavily into the sounds now. Like, look, there's some good music out there now. But I read this, um, going back to Prince, one of Prince's sound sound engineers for a long time, I believe her name was Susan Rogers. And I read this really good article and she was saying how Prince, while he was so like OCD about certain things, he wasn't too worried about having this terribly polished sound. Mm. And I guess there have been um, I guess they're like there's a certain type of psychologist that deals with sound and the impact it has. And apparently the more polished and overproduced a track is, the less emotional attachment that a listener is uh likely to form with this with the track mm, yeah yeah it makes sense and you know what i'm saying yeah. and um and this lady you should you should check it out i think that's her name susan rogers and, okay. and there's a really good article and she talks about working with prince over the years and it was just really fascinating it's interesting though because like I, I don't know i could be wrong but i don't think any of uh I don't think any of One Direction's music is going to be hung up in the annals of all time music with, uh, say, Imagine.
0: Uh, no, I don't. Well, look, I mean, I, I might be biased with my opinion because I'm not a One Direction fan, but uh, I I tend to agree with
2: you. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, it's like what I'm 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 looking, and, I, and it's like when when is the watershed? What point in time was the watershed when? Like where are the classic songs being created now? Hmm. Hmm. Like where is you know where are we going with this music? Who I I mean I I don't know I mean has there is there a song in the past five or six years where you're gonna say, man that's that's something else? I remember when the Billy Jean video played and I was like oh my god this song. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? Yeah yeah. And I know I'm getting older. But still, I try and listen with a, I try and listen with an open mind, and I'm just wondering like where where are the classics coming from now?
0: Yeah, it's it's. I mean, I think it's it's different these days because I think the way that we we uh, digest music is really different. Like, you know, uh, you know, even just using that that example of Billie Jean, like it's you know what were your options at the time you'd have the radio um and then you'd have you know, you, you didn't have the internet you didn't have any connectivity you nope. didn't have a lot of tv stations to sort of flick through uh and nope. this was sort of because that was a moment of, i, re- I yeah. still
2: remember the day sorry to cut you off i still remember the night it debuted in america well wow. and that's what everyone did they waited for that video debut to come on
0: yeah that's i mean there you go i mean you've got the attention of the nation straight away with that i mean that's you don't have that these days because everybody's got so many different things that you can tap into with, you know, with your phone or, or a laptop or whatever it might be. And you can you can create your own little niche interest um, on your own without anybody telling you. It's not like a mass sort of, hey, there's only like three or four different options to look at, um, you know, as it was in the 90s or the 80s and going back, you know. So these days yep. it's almost an abundance. You've got too much stuff to, to, to choose from. I know. From
2: which and is I exciting don't but like it. yeah i, I don't right. like it because i don't have the it's too hard and everything's right there like i would love to be able to sit down and go through an album track by track mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. i used to yeah. but you know our our brains aren't just aren't, aren't conditioned like that anymore and you know with with you know, all of a sudden, guys just releasing two two tracks. Yep, <laughs> Yeah, that's right. You know, there's yeah. two tracks, and you don't get that story. Like, I missed the story of of an album.
0: We were we were always the same because you would you'd only have so much. I've, I've said this heaps of times on the podcast that people would be sick of me, but I love saying it because we tend to forget it. You know, when we're all growing up, and you know, you get some pocket money, or you start you know earning some money, at a part time job, or something like that. You would only have so much money, and you know a record or a CD or whatever would be so expensive, and so you'd yep. put the majority of your money on that one album. Yeah. And you would sit down and you'd be the flicking through the the pages in the booklet or looking at the the vinyl jacket with the artwork and the liner
2: notes. Dude, you're scrutinizing that thing, trying to see if it's worth it.
0: Yeah, yeah, and and if it doesn't click straight away, you're disappointed because you spent like whatever, $30 or whatever, thirty dollars or twenty five bucks. Yeah, for yeah, a CD. yeah, 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 yeah. And you're like, <laughs> yeah. oh, damn it! But then. But you've you've invested in this. You you can't just put it to the side. You've got to spend time. So you, you listen and you listen and you listen and eventually it clicks and you go, Oh my god, like this is amazing And mm. and then you that's when you had those moments where you connect with these amazing albums and these amazing bands and artists over the years. But yeah, you're right. I mean these days, I mean I I've always seen it sort of in the more it started with a lot of rap artists and hip hop artists where they were really sort of pushing the the singles and getting single yeah. songs out there. But now I'm noticing that in a lot of rock music as well, where singles really? are becoming the thing to do. The albums are not high priority anymore, which which I understand why they're doing it, but it does take away that whole
2: experience. It, it detracts from the art and it, yeah. it, it takes away from the craft, I believe. You know, yeah. I think Kanye for everything that Kanye is crazy about, mm. I think Kanye still does a good job. I think he understands the importance of telling that story mm-hmm. in, in, in an album, you know, track after track. And I still, I think he tries to keep it old school now, whether his, his, his material is still as good as it once was. Well, you know, that's, that's debatable enough mm-hmm. to each person, but um, no, I, I hear you totally. I, I just, you know, where, the, and even in rap, I, I just don't know where the classics are coming from in hip hop, you know, like Drake, I can really love some of his stuff. But I'm like it's it feels bubblegummy to me, like I want to throw it out after an hour.
0: Yeah, yeah, oh, there you go. I was I was thinking I was trying to think of a really good analogy to some of the some of the more pop stuff that's been put out in the last few years because it's it's almost like eating fast food. You know, it you get this you get this in, initial thrill of eating all this sugar and all this, you know, all this fat, but it's not sustainable. You can't just keep eating it, otherwise you start to get sick and and then you don't yeah, enjoy it. But like anymore. if you
2: if you go th- and if you go throw on "Don't Believe the Hype," Public Enemy, yeah, yeah, like that is going to, and this guy and and that that is going to thump until the end of the world.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: That that you know what I'm saying that is a classic. Those guys were really going through some stuff, and they were they were talking about exactly what the world is going through now. Yeah, thirty two mm-hmm. years ago, yeah. I think "Don't Believe the Hype" was 1987. Wow
0: that's what makes it iconic, isn't it? Like that's, it, oh, it just, it just gives, there's purpose behind the song. There's, there's intention behind it and, and you can listen to it and, and understand what they're, what they're trying to say or what, what their purpose is behind yeah. the song, which, which makes it more relatable to, to more people. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> yeah, I, I'm, it's something that I forget about quite a bit and I'm surrounded by music all the time, but uh, you, I mean, I've, I find myself, as you said, I don't think we're programmed like we used to be where, you know, I, I carve out my day where I'm looking at everything from the day I wake, uh, the moment I wake up to when I go to sleep and I've got hour blocks to do different things and I'm always busy and, you know, I find myself yep. listening to podcasts and so that yeah, takes see, away. Yeah,
2: that, that's, that's what I was wondering too. Has, yeah. has, has the podcast medium replaced, you know, us going track by track I think so. through, through a musical compilation has you know like on the way so i i ride the train a lot because i'd rather ride the train than sit in the traffic in my car Mm. so i have a 45 minute train ride um every day and i'm like today i was listening to joe rogan and rob Lowe, and that's a two and a half hour podcast Mm. but it was it was brilliant like yeah yeah it's 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 a tough it's tough out there and you know like and where are we going with music like where Where's the money now?
0: Well, it's. I mean, there's, there's a bit of controversy in the last week because uh, Spotify's right. CEO put a put a statement out saying that bands should be releasing music more regularly just to earn more money. But Spotify pays something like it's. Oh, I don't even know what it is. It's it's point zero 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 fourteen of a cent per play on Spotify. It's something. Just you have to you have to do something like almost 300 plays of a song to be able to earn a cent or a dollar or something like that. Yeah. It's something crazy. So unless you're getting millions and millions and millions of plays, um, you cannot earn a lot of money on streaming. So a lot of bands are still trying to, well, up until a few months ago, were touring and getting out there and that was how they're earning their money and selling t-shirts and, CD still i um, here and there depending on the audience and yep. just trying to find ways to make money and now because of you know all the covid stuff uh, a lot of musicians are trying to find other ways to branch out and do different things so some guys are going into the gaming world and doing a lot of Twitch stuff online and and uh, trying to win some attention that way and earn some money right. that way and other guys like myself I mean I've been doing podcasting for you know about 5 years but you know yep. I've sort of lent into that a bit more over the past you know few months and I think Musicians are just trying to be, continue to be creative, but just in different ways. So it's kind of good in a way, but at the same time, it's, it, it's kind of sucks because Spotify, you know, Spotify gives Joe Rogan a hundred million dollars to, to get onto his, uh, onto their platform. And, and I think, I think they gave a hundred million to Kim Kardashian as well. Something and I like think that. Bill
2: Simmons Bill Simmons I think got a lot too. Yeah,
0: yeah. So so they've got money, but you know the artists that um basically are bringing the attention to the platform in the first place are just not getting yeah. anything at all. So we'll see what happens. We'll see what the future brings, but um musicians have always been like like anything any you know especially anything in the entertainment world or anything that's sort of unorthodox, I think a lot of these people have always had to think outside the box and try and be creative and create their own destiny and this will just be another chapter in in, uh, the evolution of it all and just, we'll see what happens. So it's kind of exciting cause it's interesting to see where it goes, but, um, some aspects of it, you just go, Oh God, like it, this, this could be so much better, but it's just not.
2: Mm. So I imagine you probably want to talk some basketball, huh?
0: Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. Why not? <laughs> <laughs> hey, I'm all about balance. It's all good. But, yeah. Well, yeah. a good segue. I mean, you know, I sort of mentioned it when we, when we first connected, uh, you know, storyline's so important, you know, it's, it's what, you know, creates fans, you know, fans of music and, and fans of sporting teams and players and, and, and all that. And I just think one thing that I found, um, really amazing sort of growing up in the nineties in particular is the storylines that were created from all the players, whether it be in the Australian league or especially in the NBA with all those larger than life characters, um, I guess for me, like, I still follow the NBL um, these days, and I think the NBL is bigger than it ever has been in, in the past. Um, but do you see that storylines are still a big thing like they probably were, or is have I got a different perception of it all?
2: I would think, you know, when you were coming up and watching in the 90s, I think all of that was um, a lot more organic um, here in Australia, and I think that's probably why so much of so much of the public still has a longing and an affection for the guys that played in that era you know there was no manipulation of the media there was no manipulation of uh mindset through social media you know it was it was primarily performance based um it was personality based Mm. um but it was authentic you know like whatever you saw from us was pretty much it. I couldn't craft up some Insta story that was, you know, filtered up and audioed up to make the pe- the to make people or spectators or fans of the game think something that I wanted them to think of me, you know, whatever they saw me publicly was, that was it. Mm. They saw me in person or they saw, they saw a real interview, uh, you know, a real interview. It wasn't anything that was manufactured and not saying that everything now is manufactured, but there's certainly that, there's certainly that element to it nowadays. Like, you know, things are not as natural. They're not as organic. And, um, yeah, I think there's a lot more fan and spectator manipulation. And once again, it's just that same old thing. Is it a real, is it that real sustainable attachment?
0: Hmm. Yeah. I just, I I mean, I, I always sort of take, sort of my perception with a grain of salt because in the nineties I was growing up and, and like anybody, when you're sort of in your sort of going into your teens and then your teenage years, you know, they're formative times in your life. So everything that's happening around you, everything's changing just in general. And so you're, everything becomes significant. And so, you know, like music, you know, you, whatever you're listening to at the time becomes the soundtrack of your life, which just becomes so important. And even years and years later, you still think back fondly. And I, and so I have that bias in my head when I think about the NBL and the NBA. Um, and so these days, as, you know, getting a little bit older and, and just getting sort of stuck into the everyday life and responsibilities of being an adult and, and having lots of different distractions, I just wonder whether it's just a case of that my attention's not as... Uh, as focused as what it was in the '90s with basketball, but I but at the same time, I I, I try to I try to sort of really keep an eye on on all the players, and I, and I do see the personalities, and I, and and I see some of that there. But yeah, it's just I don't know. I it's like anything, I guess. As the eras change, the the vibe changes, doesn't it?
2: And it does. And nowadays, I mean, the players are are under so much more scrutiny, and you know they. I guess there probably may be some apprehension to actually reveal who they really are Mm. because, you know, as we're seeing, um, in the AFL, like there've been, there've been death threats this, this weekend over some games because I guess allegedly punchers, you know, are not doing well and they're Mm. starting to attack the players. Um, and and that's just, that's just craziness. But yeah, I mean, the things sports different, every game is visible live, you know, in our day, um, you know, your game may have been live in your home market or somebody may have had access to it, but not every game was shown live. So, you know, the scrutiny was a lot, uh, a lot less. And, you know, I, I imagine it would be tough to really be yourself and God knows, man, if those cameras and, uh, And phones were out when I was out partying in my heyday. Good (laughs) Lord. Yeah. Thank God for that. I got out just in time.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It's, uh, yeah, I guess it's just a, it's a society thing. It's not even just sport. It's just everything. I mean, we all, we're all very sort of, we've got apprehension about what we, what our actions are and what we say. And because we've got things like, you know, we're both on Twitter. So, you know, Twitter sort of encourages you, if you're not thinking too quickly, that you just, whatever you're, whatever's in your head, you just quickly tap it out of the phone and just let it go. And then afterwards you go, oh, geez, I probably shouldn't have said that. Like, you know, and it's, there's a bit of regret, but it's such an instant thing and it's out there yeah. and it, it can travel quickly, especially if it's not good.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm, I, I don't think I've ever had that tweet regret. Oh,
0: well, that's good. <laughs> like,
2: yeah. I haven't quite experienced that yet. Um I try and think it through pretty clearly but I'm going to speak my mind at the same time. Hmm. And I try you know I yeah it's yeah I I don't want to like hurt anyone's feelings but sometimes you know things are just you're just trying to be professional especially if I'm taking on the uh the arm of a media member at that time cuz you know sometimes I might be speaking on behalf of my own podcast or something. And I just need to be open and honest and direct about something and an observation, you know. Mm-hmm. And it is tough, you know. People get hurt, but hell, I'm 53. I'm not really concerned about it. Yeah, well, yeah.
0: I mean, you're still young. Oh, you have to
2: go. You, you have to develop that that shell yet.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's forming slowly. It's getting there. <laughs> Oh. did, um, you mentioned like, you mentioned earlier about your dad and your dad being in the NFL and I didn't really, I, I sort of just did a bit of digging around the other week and, and, and I remember it from years ago, but just f- completely forgot about it. But do you think that, I mean, I have no idea about what your relationship was with your dad, but did your dad sort of help you sort of g- form sort of that? I f I cause for, I actually, I'll, I'll take another step back and go in a different direction. Just to give oh, no, context. I think you're
2: headed down the right direction. Yeah, without a doubt. He definitely had a major influence on my sporting.
0: Well, just art. sporting, but also I think just your personality and your ego. So even just my perception of you growing up and watching you play and the way that you interacted and just what you said before about, you know, sort of the different – it was just the game and that, that's all it was and you didn't have the social media um, sort of around you and sort of influencing everything that you did. You still had that persona of – a at least from my point of view, as a very easygoing person, happy person, obviously on the floor and playing, it's 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 one hundred percent serious, and, and there's a goal yeah. there, and you've got to you've got to go in all in or nothing. But yeah. you you've always had that approachable sort of persona around you and, and still having that, that level of professionalism, even though you mentioned, uh, you know, you, you were, you know, there's plenty of partying over the years. Do you think your dad had any sort of influence in, in sort of that balance that you had of just being sort of that, having that persona and being sort of likable and approachable and adaptable?
2: I think probably more my mother, my mother's very, um, my, my mother's very personable and she's a bit. A little bit left of center, but she, and she's just, you know, she can be wacky at times. She's got a great sense of humor. You know, she loves to laugh and, you know, I was, I was very close with both of my parents. I mean, my parents wound up getting divorced, but um, no, and I'm still, I'm still cool with them. Everything is fine. It's just, um, you know, I was just fortunate enough to have both influences, you know, like, and that's not, that's not common, especially with a lot of African-American athletes.
0: It was um. Was it? I mean, obviously, it would be normal for you growing up in in that environment. But I guess looking back, did did you have a, a little bit of an unusual upbringing given your dad's profession?
2: Yeah, well, yeah, well, my my parents came from yeah, not a great part of. Especially my dad. My dad's side of the family was really poor out of the ghettos of uh, Washington D.C. My mother um, would have been like um, maybe maybe just slightly out of poverty. Mm. Um, But my dad's family was for sure entrenched deep, deep in in the poverty. Um, And it was only, and my parents had me when they were 18. Mm. So it was only, um, you know, the first three or four years of my life, my dad was at university. And I was living with my grandparents and my mother would go and visit my dad sometimes up in Boston. And I was kind of shown between my grandparents and so forth. And my aunt, my uncles and everybody kind of looked after me. And, uh, it was only when my dad made the NFL. Um, I was probably about four years of age that we got out of there. And then at that point, you know, you know, he was making a good income and, I was, you know, all of a sudden we were living in the suburbs and I was going to good schools and all that changes, you know, and that's just how quickly your fortune can change. And I had nothing to do with that.
0: Did you, did Um, did you notice that? Like, was that dramatic for you at the time or was it sort of just this, I mean, it doesn't sound, it's not the right word, but it's not a natural sort of progression, of course, but. Did it? Did was it dramatic? Oh, it's it's
2: totally against the odds, and I mean, this is crazy that we're even talking about it because I addressed this with my mother, and I was like, you know, what if what if my dad hadn't made the NFL? What did my, you know, all of a sudden my last name wouldn't have been Jack? Mm. And you know, certainly my road becomes a lot tougher. Not that it was easy, but you know, all of a sudden I'm able to go to better schools, and I'm able to, um. And this is part of the problem in the African-American plight is you don't get to see how the majority, the whites, succeed, how they um, handle things, how they interact. And that's part of whether you want to call it overt racism or whatever it is or lack of opportunity, you know, when you're able to see what. You know, the more affluent class with how they handle things, there's learning in there. Mm. And I think that definitely helped me. And, um, you know, it opens up opportunities for you. And, yeah, I had some talent basketball wise, but realistically, it was the fact that I was a good student and my parents pushed me to be a good student. Um, that that ultimately got me into a in, into a really good private school. Um and then my body started to grow and I started to develop as a basketball player and everything kind of came together, but it came together late for me. I wasn't any type of prospect in high school.
0: Well so when yeah. you say when you say late, like in comparison, so what would be the normal age versus sort of when the time was sort of
2: halfway through my senior halfway through my senior year I didn't have one college offer yeah, right. okay. in high school. So yeah. I and I think I got my first like little look maybe in January of my final season. That's really, really, really late.
0: And by, by that stage, were you sort of thinking this is just not gonna happen?
2: No, I thought I was good. I was I just kept planning, and tried to remain optimistic. I knew I was good enough. I just knew that I was small and I was thin, my and I was and I was still a year young for my, my grade. Hmm. So, um, I, uh, I just had to, to maintain hope and, and, uh, one school took a chance on me.
0: And how, how does it work in, in the U S when it comes to that stuff? Is it a case that you got, you guys are playing and you have scouts come out that will just sort of keep an eye on what's going on, or do you have to proactively do things yourself to put, you know, uh, I don't know, like an, like applications out to different schools or how's, how's it work?
2: Well, back then it was a lot tougher, right? Because, you know, just the methods of communication were much slower and it was expensive to call people and you know what I'm saying? Like it was, it was, it was really, really rough. Um, and I think I, uh, it was, it was really word of mouth. A friend of a friend called this coach at Iowa and then they, they flew down and had a look at me and they're like, okay, we like him but then that didn't work out. So they referred me to Davidson and then that worked out. And, um, but realistically it was, yeah, I I wouldn't say the chances of me playing pro, I wouldn't say the odds were good at that point.
0: Mm -hmm. Was it, was it a big sort of uh, spark for yourself when, when Davidson came along?
2: Yeah, well uh, I, because like I said, I was a good student. So, I had two visits lined up. One was to Davidson. Uh, one was to Columbia University in Manhattan an Ivy League school, but they didn't give scholarships. And I felt that I, I felt I wanted a scholarship and um, and I felt that that standard of basketball, I was better than that. And so I went to Columbia like on the Friday night for a visit and I left out of there Sunday evening. And I think I went to Davidson the following Wednesday when I got to Davidson. I was like, yep, this is where I need to be. Mm. And they were able to supply me with the scholarship. And there was a the potential for me to start right away to play as a freshman. And I just thought, you know, that's where I wanted to be. And I, and I went, I signed. And yeah, it was just, it was, you know, like you look back on decisions and you're like, damn, I got that one right. And you look back <laughs> on others, you're like, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> we'll chalk that one up to a learning experience, but <laughs> Davidson was a, yeah, that was just a, yeah, man, I just, you know, I worked hard and I, and I got lucky at the same time. So,
0: Had you, had you already, at at that stage already sort of in, in the back of your mind thought that the destiny for you or the, or the path that you were going to go along when it came to basketball was going to be the NBA or had you seen other people sort of looking <sighs> into sort of other leagues or, or even, you know, like a lot of players end up doing like yourself, end up going abroad.
2: I went to Davidson. Um, I want to be a lawyer. So I started studying economics mm. and my goal was to go to law school um, after I graduated from Davidson and I didn't really have any, I didn't have any intention in my first couple of years of trying to play pro basketball. It was probably after my third year where I started to go off where I was like, okay, I might be able to do something. And then, you know, a couple of pro scouts came and watched me play. And I and I just I took confidence from that and I thought, look, if they're coming to see me play, I must have something. Hmm. Yeah, so then I started really aiming high and thinking, you know, I can I think I could play in the NBA. Um, by the time I finished at Davidson after my fourth year, I was thinking I can pl- I can play in the NBA in the right in the right situation. And I had some tryouts and I did well at the tryouts, but you know, sometimes it's a numbers game, and the numbers didn't go my way, and I got the opportunity. Um, Brian Curl got in touch with me, and I had the opportunity to to trial and play and uh, try and make the Bullets roster back in 1989. Jesus. <laughs> Were you born? Yeah,
0: I was. I was. Oh, okay, my uh, fault. I won't, I won't tell you how old I was, though. <laughs> Barely born. <laughs> <laughs> Was that, yeah was that pretty wild for you i mean had you seen other 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 players you know from from the u.s go to australia was australia sort of something that you're aware of or was this sort of just this thing that came out of nowhere and you thought oh i never even thought that this would be an option
2: i never thought it was it would be an option i was calling like england all these crusty teams in england <laughs> like and i was you know and, and i knew i was better like i i knew that and this, this, unfortunately, like is the attitude that you have to have. I just knew I was too good for England, but I was, I just had to get somewhere. I mean, my first job I took in El Salvador, that's where I started my career wow. before Brian Curl called me. Mm. And, uh, you know, I made 1500 bucks a month. I was there for four months and it was in the middle of a civil war. And like, you know, sometimes we just couldn't leave the house for four or five days because whatever, the guerrillas were causing problems and it wasn't safe. Wow. wow so um that was my first job but I got through it and um I learned to become a pro and how to focus real quick
0: oh man that's incredible I mean would would that have been a culture shock for you to go oh El Salvador?
2: Man, dude you hear bombs going <laughs> off in machine gun fire damn straight it was a culture shock yeah
0: <laughs> mm. oh I mean that's that's wild that is just well, I mean, the,
2: yeah. yeah so this is like I remember the first the first day I got there the I I knew some Salvadorans, right? I went mm. to college at Davidson and that's how I got the hookup. And one of my teammates at Davidson who was a bit older than me, he uh he had already played a season down and he's like come down here it's fine. And so like the first night I got there, we drove from San Salvador, the capital of El Salvador, we drove through guerrilla occupied territory up into Guatemala be- because they wanted to party at Guatemala City. <laughs> Dude, it was the scariest drive ever gone on in my life. We we're at the border for like three hours. Oh, it's just man. there's a civil war going on. You know, people are getting kidnapped. All types of stuff. It's madness.
0: And and here you are coming to play basketball. I'm 22. Wow. Ugh. you haven't even you haven't experienced anything yet, really. I mean, this is this is probably your
2: we'd be we'd be sleeping in our bed now. Now I'm, the place we lived on was nice. It was a mango plantation. We had maids. Everything they looked after us like that. But, um, you know, several nights, like several nights we'd be sleeping. It's the middle of the summer. It's hot as hell down in El Salvador. And, uh, you just don't have any human rights. Mm. So even though you're on your own property, like we had this big mansion, but my, my college, my college teammate and I, Jerry, Jerry and I would sleep in the same room. Um, because we were scared at night. Like, mm-hmm. I don't think, uh, I, I would maybe slept, I maybe slept two hours every night, probably for the first two months. Um, like, we would wake up in the middle of the night, and there would just be, like, soldiers outside in the yard, like, just hanging out.
0: Mm. Oh, jeez. I can't, can't yeah. begin to imagine.
2: Man, it, it was, it, it Yeah. It's a tough way to start your career.
0: Oh So so Australia looked like a slightly better option than oh, El Salvador.
2: <laughs> <laughs> When I got to Brisbane, I was like, Yes, uh, I am good. <laughs> I am good. But then I had so I you know, I had the first two seasons, ninety and ninety one in yeah, Brisbane. Yeah. And, you know, there's a lot of stories about what went down in my second season, whatever. It didn't work out and the bullets released me. And then dude, I had to go play in England for a mm. year and oh talk about a miserable place. I went to England, Birmingham, England.
0: Another bullets team.
2: Yes. Mm. Oh, you did your research. Oh I, just, Very nice.
0: I remember I remember the, the Rocky Years. <laughs>
2: Birmingham was Birmingham is, is back then, nineteen ninety two. Yeah. Had to have been one of the five worst cities in the Western world. Wow. Just and miserable. they kept. T- oh man, it was bleak. Because <laughs> that oh, sun in England, dude, in the in the in the winter, that sun goes down at about three thirty, <laughs> <laughs> and it is like, oh my god, and and not to mention, I mean, uh no offense to the English listeners or anything, but let me tell you, the English ain't the most welcoming people I've ever met in my life. <laughs>
0: Oh, well, I mean, I, I've never been to Birmingham before, but, um, uh, from what I can recall, it's a fairly industrial. It's
2: town. the home of the industrial revolution. If yeah. I had to hear that one more time when I was there <laughs> and apparently it's not even true anyway. Oh, right. That's, okay. Yeah. That, 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 that claim has been definitely questioned. <laughs> yeah. But that's what they, and I lived under, I I lived right off of the, um, I don't know if you know this place. It's famous in England. It's called the spaghetti junction. I've heard of. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, (laughs) it's, it's it's carcinogen heaven.
0: (laughs) Oh, Oh, great for the lungs. (laughs) Yeah. It's
2: like, you know, you've every, if you're going North to South, you've got to pass through spaghetti junction and it's like, uh, man, it was, it, it was rough. And, you know, back then was probably, you know, I used to dabble in a bit of, you know, recreational stuff. And I remember my, um, I remember the, um, my little fish and chips guys, they were great. They were Pakistanis. Yep. And they would give me, like, this secret code where I could call back to America. And then they'd always leave me with a little something underneath my fish and chips underneath the tin foil. <laughs> so that that got me through those winters.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Whatever it takes.
2: <laughs> yeah, a little muscle relaxant, so to speak.
0: <laughs> gotcha, gotcha. <laughs>
2: yeah, so um, England was... You know, but England—they were really good athletes, though. Yeah, yeah, really good athletes. And the team I played on was all black, um, so I really got—I really got pushed from an athletic point of view. The basketball wasn't great, but um, you know. And once again, I guess when you go through, you know, it's called contrast, right? When you when you living something and you know it's not what you want, you figure out very quickly through through contrast what you do want. Mm-hmm. Yes and um you know that, that, that when i got back to australia i was ready.
0: Yeah i think um i think leaving leaving brisbane and from what i can recall i mean brisbane's very different these days as as you're well aware to what it mm-hmm. was when you first first arrived but brisbane's always had the reputation of a very sleepy quiet big town it's never people still refuse to call it a city although i can definitely call it a city these days but yeah um you know to to leave that and then to go to Birmingham and, and experience that, I think at the very least you go, Oh geez. Like I, I think I've, I think I've definitely picked the worst option here. Yeah. <laughs> the, the sun, what the day sunshine. did
2: all go wrong? I'll go back and fix that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> but oh. you know what, Andy, check it. I loved Brisbane in the early nineties. Mm. I loved it, man. It was so much fun. And like, there was a freedom and a Liberty that, you, yeah, that, yeah, that's, yeah, it's, cher- it's to be cherished and it's, you know, that is, that is gone. Like, you know, roaming the streets at five or six, you know, walking out of clubs at seven in the morning. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's, you so know. <laughs> yeah.
2: Yeah.
0: Yeah. It's, you it's, know, it's like, very different. Very different.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And it was, um, you know, just the, just the raw, just the rawness of it all.
0: I think because it was always seen as a, as a big country town, it had that country vibe where it was a little bit sort of like the wild west, um, in a, in a little bit more of a, a kind of a, a kind of a bit of a city vibe because there was more people, but it still had that very loose, anything can go sort of atmosphere <laughs> around the place where really uh, it's, it's always entertaining. Something's going to happen and you, you didn't feel restricted or confined by yes all the, I don't know, whatever we've got now, all the regulations and rules and things like that. Cause I mean, even I've, I, I moved away from Brisbane about 15 years ago yeah. and I've been been in Sydney ever since. And mm. just in those 15 years, seeing Brisbane and how much it's changed in those, in those few years, it's just, it's chalk and cheese. It's so different. It's, and every time I come back and I'm there for a few days, I've still got family up, up there and I just, I'm yeah. going through the city and just looking around And I I love, I really miss Brisbane, but every time I go back, I go, oh, it's so different again. It's so, it's it's growing. It's becoming a city.
2: I mean, I really like it now. They've done a, whoever the city planners are and stuff, they've done a really good job and they're they're doing some major things now. You know, I think they're trying to get this 2032 bid going for the Mm. games and, you know, I think they've done a good job, but you know, a similar thing happened in Sydney. Cause I, when did I leave Sydney? I moved out of Sydney in 2008 and, uh, you know, by the end of my run there in 2008, Sydney wasn't really the same. Like the nightlife started to suck. Mm. Like as soon as Oxford Street went dead, yeah, yeah, like that hurt. And then the then they shut down the cross. Like what's the nightlife? I I, I haven't lived in Sydney for five years, but um. It's, it-
0: it started to it started to pick back up a little bit. So some of the some of the regulations started to ease, and I think some some changes of, of government certainly helped. But, um, but obviously, what's the
2: cross like nowadays? Uh,
0: they've still got they've still got a lot of the restrictions in place. Um, it's nothing it's nothing like it was. It's still it's still a shadow of, of what it was. Of, uh, you know, ten ten odd years ago, and it's I think. Um, a lot of a lot so, of the activities moved sort of into other pockets now, um, away from that area, which which is which is a shame.
2: I just thought, you know, man, I remember, you know, in the early '90s, just being able to go up and down Oxford Street and just uh, all types of people—straight, yeah. gay—you know, all types of colors—and it was just it was so vibrant, and you know, everyone mixed with everyone quite easily and it was no problems and and the, you know the cross started to pick up sort of pre pre-olympic games mm. pre-sydney 2000 the cross really picked up and and got a bit of got a bit of nice it got a bit of status it wasn't just like an outlaw's haven it mm. was you know the hugo's moved in there and there were some other places in there that were really good and it was just really rolling in the lead up to the Olympic Games. And then I would say by about, man, by about 2005, 2006, you could see the squeeze was coming.
0: Mm. Yeah, yeah. Oh, you felt it everywhere. I mean, even when when I first came came down here and started playing, um, you know, we still had a number of music venues in the middle of the city. Um, you know, yep. Sort of Surrey Hills and near near Central's train station and sort of yep. going up George Street. And then once a lot of the laws started to change with um, additional regulations and licenses and things like that, then a lot of these venues just couldn't afford to to keep these places open. So they just started to shut down. And so for a lot of live music, um, you know, it it got moved into the suburbs, which is fine in some ways, but it's no longer central where everybody across the city can all migrate into the one central spot. You know, it it just makes it harder. And as soon as it becomes an extra step in the, in the, uh, in the, the commute, then people start to, to not be as motivated to, to go and attend things anymore. So yeah, over the past, yeah, about to be 10 years that it's just, um, 10 plus years. It's, it's, it's really sort of died a miserable death and, and we started to get, uh, sort of signs of it coming back to life and this sort of new chapter and it looked really exciting. And then, uh, well, yeah, coronavirus hit and, <laughs> and so yeah. now, now we're all sort of going, oh, well, we'll just have to wait and see.
2: So, are pubs and pubs are operating down there now?
0: They are. Um, they've they've got the the restrictions on um, how many people are within within the establishment, but ten, uh, depending on how big the place is. Um, and yeah. you've got to do your sign in, your check in, your QR code stuff. Um, and it's it's not too bad, but um, there's no there's no live music. There is some live music, but you have to be sitting down at a table, which sort of defeats yep. the purpose of going to a live show. So there's still some live music happening, but it's not to the extent of what it was obviously. Um, but I think just what's been happening in Melbourne over the past few weeks. Um, and I don't think Sydney's going to get as bad as Melbourne, but there's, we're just seeing this this slight increase in, yeah. in more cases. And uh, I just, I feel it's inevitable that we'll, we'll end up uh, taking a few steps back and having to lock things up a little bit and, and uh, everyone will have to stay at home a bit longer, which which is a shame. But you, you do what you need to do. So we'll just
2: well see what happens. You saw that New Zealand has new cases now. Mm. Yeah, yeah. So pfft. it's it's just bizarre.
0: It's it's. It's bizarre in every direction you look, no matter, no matter what side of the fence you sit on and, and which part of the world you're in, there's just, uh, there's just different levels of bizarre and every day. And that's, you know, going back to, you know, the, this whole social media world we live in, you just, it's this instantaneous, like just immediate feed of information coming through. And a lot of it is just garbage. And you're just trying to wade through it to go. What's real? What's not? What should I pay attention to? What should I disregard? And yeah, it's just um, it's really overwhelming. So you have to try and keep things simple and just go. All right, what have I got to do today? <laughs> and just yeah. just, and just stick to the plan. And, and that's all you can do.
2: So, are you masking up when you go out down there? Yeah, yeah, I am. Yeah,
0: and and I think it's not. It. Uh, New South Wales government gave a recommendation; they didn't want to mandate it, um, like like Victoria. Um, so I've noticed that there's more people out and about wearing a mask, um, but yeah. there's a lot of people that just just aren't, and, um, and I think it's just mixed feelings, and people, I think here still, because they're not in Melbourne, not in Victoria, that they they still don't think it's probably as bad as even though what they're seeing everywhere on the news, so I think yeah. people are sort of in a, in a sense of denial still about, um, you know, even just taking some, some minor precautions, so yeah, so I've got the mask, and you know, it is what it is. But you know, and and how effective, and and to what benefit, who knows? But I'd rather I'd rather be on the safe side. At least demonstrate that you know, I'm trying to do the right thing by other people around me as well. So,
2: yeah, I yeah. just ordered. I ordered some. I think they're due in tomorrow.
0: Yeah. Cool. Yeah.
2: Yeah. I mean, I've been wearing. You know, I've been trying to wear a face covering as if I like take the train. Yeah, but the trains are empty up here.
0: Mm, yeah, I was going to say public transport. Um, I think just has. Yeah, I I don't think there's many people using it at all. I think people are just really paranoid.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Or they really haven't returned, they haven't really returned to work. I Mm -hmm. mean, Brisbane is, it's, it's, it's fine, but it's not really, you can just, you just feel it in the air. Like, I don't know what it is. It's like some type of like 10% fear, 40% caution. It's, it's just a weird mix, you know, like. It's just hard to describe.
0: And I think I think a lot of people a lot of people are frustrated as well because, you know, people's livelihoods are being taken away from them. They they can't do what they want to do anymore and 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 I think we've just been so lucky, you know, just like even what we were saying before about, you know, what Brisbane was like in the early nineties, you know, this this sort of carefree vibe about the place and just this 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 era that that's not really around anymore. But I think in Australia we've we've just been so lucky. You know we've we've know. we've we've just had everything at our fingertips. You know life has been good. We've we've had we've had our share a fair share of adversity through different things, natural disasters and stuff natural like that. Disasters, yeah, yeah, but but we've we've built this resilience, and I think we've got this laid back culture that we've always embraced. And I think this has probably been the first time ever, or at least in in a couple of generations, where We've really sort of been, we, we've been forced to have to sort of really work together and try to, try to do the right thing. And I think people aren't used to that. I think people are just used to living their life and doing what they want to do when they feel like it. And now not not a lot of people can do that. So I think some people are going through those motions. It's almost like a child being told what to do and they, and they don't want to do it. So they're digging their heels in <clears> and you're watching people go through these, these, uh, these stages as they're trying to come to terms with what life is like at the moment and yeah, it's, uh, it's very interesting to watch, but yeah, as I said before, I just, I just try to think about what I'm doing, you know, what's going on yeah. in my world, what's going on today and just try to just do my, do my Keep thing. Keep Yeah. Yeah. And try not to stress about everything else because there's only so much you can control, you know, control your own world and, and then hopefully other people will, will follow suit.
2: Mm. Wow.
0: Yeah. So we'll see, we'll see what happens. So Yeah. Mm. Um, did you get a similar vibe when you came back to Australia after the UK when, uh, cause I think you went to, oh geez, you Newcastle. Yeah, Newcastle and I think, and then you went up, you went far North as well, uh,
2: Townsville, uh,
0: a few years later as well. Were, yeah. was it, were they different changes again or was it sort of a similar sort of East coast Australian vibe <laughs> that you, that you got?
2: I didn't really love the smaller places. Um, yeah. Yeah, like Newcastle was okay. Townsville was Townsville was okay. Townsville, I thought I played really good basketball, but mm. the the living side of it was difficult.
1: Mm.
2: I like a bit more pop. Yeah. Well, especially at that time when I was much younger. Yeah. Um, now it's a bit different. I'm more of a loner now. Yeah. But <laughs> um, back then, you know, I needed I needed a bit more. So. Um, but once again, you know, pl- pleasant places. But I like, you know, I like a bit of progressive thought, you know, some mm. stimulation, that type of stuff. You know, a bit of edginess in a place. And I, those places were probably, while nice, they're probably um, a bit singular in, in dimension mm. for my for my, um, long-term availability.
0: Yeah, yeah, and I I hear you. I grew up I grew up in Queensland all my life. Like uh lived in lived in Rockhampton um and oh, well, yeah. and uh lived way out west as well as a kid and um and yeah, I I mean obviously a different perspective again just uh given sort of my background and upbringing, but um you know, it wasn't it really until uh, not long before I left Brisbane, but really when I moved to Sydney, that, um, suddenly I was just exposed to lots of different people, lots of different backgrounds, lots of different levels of education, uh, right. thoughts and perspectives and suddenly I'm like, <laughs> oh, this is what life is. This is what, yeah. this is what it's meant to be like. It's not meant to be just the same person, you know, carbon copied in, in the same town. You know, it's, it's not just the one way of thinking it. There's lots of different ideas here. That's, yeah. that's exciting.
2: Yes, exactly. Exactly right. And that's what, you know, I like that, you know, I like to hear different perspectives, even if I don't, you know, I find, you know, like, right now, I've got the frozen image of Donald Trump on my TV. (laughs) And I think he is just a full blown disaster as president. But I think there's a lot to be learned. Again, like you sit and I find him fascinating because of how, you know, how different his values are from mine Hmm. it's and and seemingly from common decency i yeah it's 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 really it's really a trip to to watch the leader of america you know just be so irresponsible and not be willing to step forth and and do just what's right for the for the country and like for the world, everyone's suffering because the United States is suffering.
0: It would almost be sometimes. I I, I look at you know even today. I think there was there was a video going around where he was saying. Um, he was talking about, oh, uh, yeah. what was it? The, um, the Spanish the world or, war two. Yeah. And then, and then he got the dates completely mixed up and basically said, oh, yeah, the, the plague or whatever it was, um, basically ended world war two. And we were like, oh my God, like, have you had a history lesson?
2: Like, this is insane. Dude, he would have no idea. <laughs> he would have no idea about the issues of world war one or world war two. He'd have no idea. Yeah. I guarantee you that no. he'd have no clue. No,
0: no. And it's just, I, I look, I look at him and I just look at the way that he, he acts and then what he says and, and, and similar to you, I sort of look with fascination because it's just a, it's, it's a human ticking in a very different way, calibrated in a completely different way to, to, to us. And we're like, Oh, this is fascinating. And, and then at the same time sort of looking at people around him that are are following him, you know, and people that are in a sense of denial because, it's almost like the lesser of two evils. I'd rather him than whatever the other side is, is suggesting no matter what it is. And it's this stubbornness and this tribal tribalistic sort of mentality that comes from blind, blind loyalty to something without sort of just, well, just completely disregarding the reality of you know how damaging and how dangerous it is. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's let it's me ask you this
2: question, Andy. Yeah. Um, When you watch the American presidents, and even Trump, someone who I don't, who I loathe, um, but he does seem to carry himself, say, differently than, say, Scott Morrison. Mm. Now, do you think that is a function of the individual himself, or does that become a part of the individual because of the position he's now in? uh why does it always look like the American leaders carry themselves with so much more austerity
0: mm. well i i have asked this to a, a lot of American friends of mine because you know I always look at cultural comparisons and I mean you you would have seen this over the years with with Australians and I don't think it's as bad as what it used to be but we had this level of modesty in our culture which was great and was a sort of romantic sort of vibe around being modest and humble but it was also this tall poppy syndrome where that if you talked yourself up too much, then they would cut you down the size. Like, Hey, don't get too, don't get, don't get too big of yourself. Don't get too cocky yeah. because you know, nobody likes, likes a big ego. And so we culturally were sort of taught to just always stay humble, but it sometimes that was really damaging. And I always looked at the U S as the complete opposite where, you know, from the perception, just through movies and pop culture, that, People were encouraged to to talk themselves up and to strive for things and and talk about what they achieved and what they're good at and be really confident about that and that outward sort of personality that's projected. And I think a lot of that's amplified through movies and, and you know, yes. pop culture, as I said before. And that's probably not the reality everywhere in, in the United States. Um but I sort of see that um when it when it comes to yeah even politicians I think there 's a level of the way that they hold themselves and project themselves, which I guess what they 're trying to do is is communicate with their population and their own culture in in a way that has to be convincing and win people over and I guess when you 've also got a population of what is it now' three hundred and fifty yeah. million or something yeah it uh, 's a All lot of people. There. that's that 's crazy, so you know there 's almost this additional level of pressure that's put onto the personality to project yourself in a way that's the commands and, and the US has always been held up as the as the global leaders, which you know, probably in more recent times is is getting getting questionable now just given what's mm. been going on. But I think I think that's probably part of it. And when I look at someone like Scott Morrison, um yep. uh, putting my Well, look, I don't, I don't have a lot of favorable things to say about him, but I think, I think a lot of it is probably more so around, I think the way that he holds himself in comparison to probably other leaders that we've had in the past. And I think there's an element to have, and maybe, maybe it's not always truth behind it, but I think the perception that he puts out sometimes is that there is still a lack of care or a lack of compassion, um, to people. And, and he has a, a level of smugness where it seems that he's more self, uh, indulgent to his right. own values, his own things that uh, are important to him rather than he's putting himself first before the community. And I think, I think some, I think that sort of shows in his portrayal to the general public at times. And I think that hurts him right. um, probably more so I than thought,
2: his decisions. I thought, I thought he had a, uh, I thought, when COVID hit, I thought he started off, he started off the game, he was like, you know, one for his first six shots. He he started mm. off rough. Then he had a little hot streak where I thought he, he kind of got full of himself. He knocked down a couple threes, you know. Mm. He got a steal and a nice assist on the break. But that only lasted for about four minutes. It was a quick patch. And then he kind of like, he regressed back to what he is. And it's kind of a bit of like, eh. Just shooting bricks. Yeah, like... <laughs> he got hot and I was like, okay, maybe this is where he stands up and he, he springs and, you know, this is the catalyst for him becoming a real leader. And I just don't think he's done much in the past two and a half months or so. Or am I wrong? I, maybe i have just stopped paying attention.
0: Yeah. I I think at least the perception I, I have of it is that he's, he's put the responsibility on, on the States. And he's like taken Trump. a step back and he said, you guys sorted out yourselves and we're not going to get involved. And I think that alone probably sends a really bad message to just to your average person in the country, just thinking, are we being yep. looked after? And and every I, state's going to have you. a different agenda, um, a different purpose, and, and there's no continuity between the states and what they want to do. So you don't have that overarching leader saying, hey, this is the way we're going to go get behind us and we're going to get through this together. And there's none of that at the moment. And I think that's probably what's hurting us. I mean, if you look at what's what's been happening, I mean, this is this has always been sort of hot in the news over the past several months, but, you know, New Zealand's prime minister, I mean, she's just been knocking it out of the park with the way that she's yep. handled it. And she probably, if you look at the mechanics behind the scenes, she probably hasn't really done anything absolutely groundbreaking, but the compassion and the projection that she's put out to her country has basically won everybody over and got everyone behind her to to do the right thing. And that's probably why she's been able to be su- as successful as she has so far. So it's, yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. It's I mean, like
2: a good coach. Sometimes it's not about the X's and O's, but how you manage the people.
0: That's right. Yeah, that's right. It's all those different personalities. You've got a collection of, you got a melting pot of so many different people, so many different backgrounds, different opinions, different personalities. And you've got to find a way to trying to achieve some common ground to get them all on the same page and say, hey, we've got a common goal here and this is going to benefit all of us. So let's move in this direction. And I, I've i got your back, but I need you to have my back as well. And mm. that's that's what a leader should be. And, and I just like, I look at these disasters that have been happening over the past, you know, 12 months or so, especially in Australia with all the natural stuff that's been happening and obviously COVID. And I think, you know, from a politician point of view, I mean, this is, as you just said before, this is like... This is prime time to like just win people over. This is this is yeah. where this is where leaders shine. This is where you stand up and say, "I'm going to I'm going to save the day here. I'm going to lead the charge." And no, nobody's doing You can make a mark,
2: it. your legacy. Yeah, yeah.
0: And and it's just like this is you know, you don't hope for bad things to happen, but if you're in that sort of position of power, I mean, these these situations are sometimes welcome because it is an opportunity to really show what you're made of. And
2: Yeah, but sometimes yeah. people they uh, you know and i in my business with what i do i train you know i train players and i help develop their skills and performance coach and all that type of stuff and one of the main things i always tell them is you know don't operate out of fear Mm. you know operate from a position of belief and confidence and knowing that you've done the work and don't worry about fear and i think you know I think a lot of people right now are grounded in fear, like, what if I get this wrong?
0: Yep. that's right. That's right. Um, sort of this, and, and naturally so, I mean, you know, people want yeah. to be cautious and they don't want to be the one that makes the decision that ends up impacting lives and, and people's livelihoods, but you know that's that's why people get into those positions as well is that you have to make right. really tough decisions you know that's <laughs> yeah you can't just put anybody i mean that's why that's why it's hard to become a prime minister or a president you know it's it's not for everybody that's why it's a certain type of person but i don't know if the people that we have at the moment are are the, are the right
2: people so so how much nba do you watch
0: well look i i was watching a lot then yep. obviously COVID hit and then yep. I watched the NBA transition and try and work out what they're, yep. what they're going to do. And I have not watched a full game. I have watched highlights and I've been trying but to wrap my watched, head around. But
2: you're familiar with James Harden, right? Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. So like I've got mad respect. He's a, amazing talent mm. not sure if i've ever seen uh, you know i've been watching the nba since 1973 Yeah. so i'm not sure if i've ever seen a greater score than james harden mm. amazing talent great passer um but i don't i don't i don't love watching him play mm. but i'm also going to defend him when people are like oh all he does is you know shoot i'm like yo my man He's dropping 35 points a game in the best league in the world against the best defenders and he's doing this every single night.
0: That's it. That's his role.
2: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so like y- you know, like not everybody everybody talks about wanting that position. Yeah, I want to be the scorer, but are do you really want it? Yeah. Yeah, I want to be I want to be prime minister. Do you really want it? Mm are you gonna are you gonna stand up and take that shot and miss that shot and and deal with all that scrutiny you know that's not for like you just said that ain't for everybody
0: it's not it's not and it's and it's so easy for all of us to sit back and and be the commentator be the be the couch commentator spectator and and yell at the TV or or our phones and and give our opinion and get on Twitter or whatever it might be yeah. And, and it's easy. It's just, it's an impulsive reaction that we have, but yeah, the reality of it is that a lot of us couldn't do it. And, and. Well, I mean,
2: like in, in music, you know, you want to be you too, you want to go tour for two and a half years.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
2: Around the world. Like it sounds cool until, you know, you're playing Copenhagen and you're a month and a half into it and you're not feeling well. Yeah. That's right. Playing
0: the same songs over and over and over again. (laughs) Yeah.
2: and you know you're the edge you're 55
0: yeah 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 but
2: then
0: but then but then, but then you play the next show and you, yeah you're just a little bit off you're not feeling yeah and then some of the crowd's going you shit i can't believe you yeah it's like come on man <laughs> i'm the edge
2: <laughs> it's 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 great it's great i mean that's i mean that's why it's such a rare thing to be you know and to be able to do you know, to be fully in, in, involved in your passion mm. is is such a fortune, and I'm I'm just grateful every day that I get to you know I get to coach I get to coach what I know best I get to do what I know best every day.
0: Yeah, well, that's probably a good a good place to to begin to wrap it up because I wanted to talk to you about um well I guess it's your school, isn't it? It's like a coaching school that you've,
2: you've Derrick Rucker Basketball, yeah, yeah, DRB, yeah, yeah. so. I work out of a couple of different locations. And basically, it's not necessarily an academy, but I, I work off like the American trainer style. So every session is basically customized. Um, I, I decide which players are in the session. And look, once you're in the system for a, a long time, you kind of have your set times. Mm. But it's um, you know, it's basically small group, two to six players. The average group size is probably... Three to four players, so it's, and it goes for an hour, mm. so it's really personalized, and you get a lot of reps, and you get a lot of supervised reps, and it's me every session. Cool, I love it. Um, so I'm right there, hands on, and and I love it. You know, like you know, my my natural personality can take me through lows, but then there's the manic side, and and that's where you know I've learned to use that in the coaching. Uh, to my benefit, and um, you know, I love it, man. I'm up, I'm on court every weekday morning at 6 a.m.
0: Have has that been? I mean, obviously, you would have been impacted a, a couple of months ago with what was what was going on with the COVID yeah. stuff. But how's it how's that it, how's it look tough.
2: now? Oh, now I'm now I'm busier than ever because yeah. I think there's been on 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 the behalf of parents and players, mm. I think there is a new appreciation for like you know what, man, like we got to get out on this court. Yeah. Like that thing was taken away from us. And now we realize how much we love the game. Mm. And I think, you know, parents know now that I, I think the parents saw the emotional and psychological change in their children, um, without sport and, you know, without, you know, with part of their sport is my sessions. And, um, yeah, it's good now, and the kids have been really keen. And fortunately, I've had some—you know—I've got some really, really good prospects, man.
0: Do you find that? I mean, as you said, it's quite tailored to the to the person um, themselves. Yep. So it's it's going to change with every single person that you that you coach. But do you find that there's common things that people need to always neglect um, from a skill set point of view when it comes to to developing? I guess their skill set when it comes to basketball.
2: Just basic little bad habits. Lack of ball security. Mm. Um, lack of ball security is like one of my pet peeves. Any <laughs> um, fish, inefficient, inefficient body movements. I hate that. Um, that's just all, you know, that's that's waste. Yep. We don't need waste. And especially um, if you're not going to be elite athletically, if you're not genetically. A lottery winner then your body movement has to be so spot on your footwork has to be so mastered and when you talk about a skill that you must have nowadays if you can't shoot the ball get off the court (laughs) you've got to be able to shoot the basketball yeah i mean they can tell you all this stuff oh yeah we need somebody to do the you know get the 50 50 ball and get do all the little yeah that's all great but you know what wins games put the ball in the basket Man, I'm that's seeing, the way the game's played.
0: I'm seeing, I'm seeing seven <laughs> seven footers knocking down threes these days as a norm. You know, it's just every, Porzingis. Every, yeah, yeah. I, the I unicorn. Watching,
2: he's seven foot three, man. Oh,
0: it's crazy. It's just I I can't wrap my head around it. So I mean, the game obviously, as you know, like you know, the game's evolved and changed over the years so much. So, so there you go. I've just I I always had these flashbacks of me you know playing club basketball as a kid and just being absolutely atrocious just horrible so so actually i'll put you on the spot when uh, when you guys let us back in uh into queensland again when you open up those yeah. borders um yeah. you might uh, <laughs> i might twist your arm and see if you can give me a couple of pointers
2: <laughs> not a problem we can uh, we can we can uh video it and everything we can put it out on social media yeah yeah That's, okay. uh, yeah you once you sign that waiver my man Anything that happens in my session is my property. So, uh,
0: yeah, we're good. We can do that, definitely. All right. My my people will talk to your people. Sounds good. (laughs) Sounds good. Go and say hi to Derek by following him on the socials, uh, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You can search for Derek Rucker and also Derek Rucker Basketball uh, for his coaching program. If you're in Brisbane and uh, you want to get some skills, uh, definitely hit him up. I'm sure he'd be willing to uh, to show you some some uh, tricks and tips uh, when it comes to all things basketball. But uh, an amazing guy, an amazing career, and uh, a pretty surreal moment for me to be talking to somebody that I really looked up to as a kid. Uh, you know, short little fat kid trying to play basketball, and uh, Derek Rucker was uh, this larger than life character and amazing uh, amazing basketball player, and uh, another. Another MBL legend to add to the list of amazing people that have been on the podcast so far. So make sure if you haven't heard the other chats that I've had with people such as uh, Mark Davis, uh, Adam Ballinger. Lyra Loggins, of course. Um, then go back and listen to those previous episodes, and I certainly will be getting more of the MBL Giants on this podcast over over the coming weeks and months and years. So I, I will not stop, so make sure you go and check all that out. But go and say hi to Derek as well as all the guests that have been on the Anti Social Podcast over the past uh, five or so years. Um, it's now been five years since uh, Anti Social has been up and running, and uh, we're still we're still chugging chugging along here and doing great things. So uh, thanks for being a part of part of the uh, journey. Now, before we wrap it up, patreon.com slash andydowling is a place to go to support this podcast if you're that way inclined. And uh, support starts from only a buck a month. Dirt cheap. Nice and nice and easy. A little feel-good payment that you can just uh, forget about and and not have to worry about. But um, if you want to support with a little bit more, there is a weekly uh, exclusive Patreon podcast episode that comes out. And uh, there's also a newsletter that gets posted to your letterbox. That's right. Old school it's the way I, that's the way I roll. So, uh, yeah, you can jump over to patreon.com slash andydowling and check all that out. Now, I have no idea who's coming next week, uh, coming on the podcast next week. I think it's another musician. I've got quite a few people that have been recorded. I've got another big bank of great people, some really exciting people, and I'm um, looking forward to sharing them all with you. So stay tuned for that. But uh, until next week, folks, take care and ta-ta.
2: <laughs> Larry. Larry, please.